from the EAH team. Welcome to Everything About Hydrogen. This is the podcast that explores the world of hydrogen and its derivative technologies and interrogates how it is changing the world of energy as we know it. Join host Patrick Malloy, manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Alicia Eastman, President of Intercontinental Energy, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, as the team speak to some of the most innovative and exciting players in the industry. If you're a fan of the show, we would love if you'd leave us a five-star review for everything about hydrogen wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help boost us up the charts and help more people find us. And with that, I'll leave it to the team and let's get on with the show. Well, hey, Alicia. Uh, Welcome back to Season 5, Episode 2. What's been going on? Great to hear from you. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I am actually very close to you right now, or at least closer than usual. I'm I'm not, like, looking into your window or anything, but I'm I'm in New York. Um, I just had a, a great meeting with the McKinsey Sustainability Advisory Council just focus on the energy transition. And it's a huge honor for me to be a part of this group because it's such a stellar team at McKinsey and then all of these sustainability leaders across different sectors. It's a small group, but it, it's really powerful. And obviously I'm the pipsqueak there compared to the rest, but it is, uh, it's really everyone is working on just incredible things. So um, I, I really left the meetings on Friday, just, just energized, really excited. And that takes me right into Climate Week. Um, so this week is totally packed. Biden is in town for the UN, and there are all of these roundtables and other meetings going on. So absolute climate chaos for the next couple days. But how are things with you? I, I assume chaotic as well, but maybe a different brand. It's it's, it's a different <laughs> it's a different uh, a different environment, albeit a different type of climate chaos for sure. Um, no, um, I think I think you know, busy market, busy times, different market. Obviously, some folks a, a little bit more economically uh, spooked at the moment, but um, interesting times nonetheless. And. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to Climate Week. I'm, I'm going to go speak with uh, the folks at the 5th Annual Advanced Water Splitting Technologies Pathways Benchmarking and Protocols Workshop next, or next, uh, or uh, yeah, on Friday. So um, looking forward to getting back into a little bit more of the wild and wonderful technical side of the conversation again. So um, ah, that's, that's uh, the real work. I mean, it's the fun yeah. stuff. I, I enjoy it. Anyway. <laughs> so, so who have we got today? We have Owosa Erwan. She is a lawyer uh, with experience working in the public and private sectors, supporting energy and climate strategy development through policy, regulatory, and program management. She has worked with donor funder organizations, academia, and also uh, she's a co-author of Touching Hydrogen Futures book and several different other publications. She's a TEDx speaker on carbon neutrality and has been recognized as an emerging energy and climate thought leader. Awosa has held roles in electricity markets, climate resilience, and most recently, she was an advisor on the GIZ Global Hydrogen Diplomacy Program in Germany. She has a master's in oil, gas, and mining law and focuses on global energy diplomacy and pathways for a low-carbon economy. 
And this is should be a, a wonderful episode just following our launch of season five, where we had a great episode with uh, Hikon Valdal of um, Nell Hydrogen. And we had asked listeners to let us know about any export credit agencies in Norway. Turns out a lot replied, and the Norwegian ECA is Exfin, who are looking closely at hydrogen projects already. So perhaps there is another source of capital for hydrogen equipment manufacturers heading into different markets uh, and based in Norway or making anything in Norway. But I think uh, we are going to have an equally exciting episode ahead of us, and let's head into it. Sounds good. Agosa, how are you? I'm good, Alicia. How are you? Really well. Very excited to have you on the show today. This is the second one of season five. Um, Before we uh, get into asking you some nitty gritty questions about what you're working on, I would love to just get some understanding of your background and the sort of pathway you took to where you are, some of the really interesting things that you've done in the past and uh, what you're focused on um, today. Right. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So my name is Awosa and I'm actually a qualified lawyer from Nigeria. Um, Although I managed to enjoy the sector just for a little bit, I delved into the energy and electricity market really early in my career. And one of the major reasons why I decided to kind of reach into the electricity market initially was because I'm, I'm Nigerian. I grew up in Nigeria, although I lived abroad for most of my adult teenage life. I discovered that the continent was very low in energy. Being a youngin, it was really hard for me to understand, um, you know, why we had to deal with generators or, um, other means of energy when we're living in such an abundantly rich um, fossil country. And then I started studying about the electricity markets in Western Africa. So that's across Ghana, Nigeria, and Senegal for about two years. Following from that, I realized the troubles when when it came to energy access were way beyond me. And um, I decided to kind of find other ways that we could solve the energy crisis on the continent. I then delved into working in the renewable energy space. So basically the decentralized aspect of renewable energy. So the mini grids and solar systems did that for a while as well and didn't realize how much energy the continent as a whole could actually generate. And then I met green hydrogen. And I think like it's really interesting because I had gone from a little um, a, a little fresh lawyer from understanding the um, disclosures and understanding policy and regulation into understanding how the continent like Africa is really abundant in renewables and how we can lineage basically on the hydrogen economy. I recently worked with the GIZ with the um, Global Diplomacy Hydrogen Program, which essentially is supporting fossil fuel countries towards finding alternative for the alternative markets for to help them basically diversify their income. So countries like Angola, Nigeria, which are heavily fossil based into navigating more to a low carbon energy systems. So you mentioned the uh, the opportunity, I think, uh, for the, the, the African continent generally. I, I suppose a broad question to start us off. Why, why is Africa kind of considered or, or tagged as the renewable energy powerhouse? And especially why, why green hydrogen? Why, why has that come to prominence? Thank you, Patrick. Um, so 
obvious, this is so obvious, the continent is abundant in sunshine. I think countries like Namibia have up to 300 days of sunshine a year, and they're, you know, exceedingly having this massive wind scale as well. And then you have countries like Algeria and Morocco, which have really high intensity sunlight as well. So the con- the continent from east to west, um, not to south, has experienced voluminous content when it comes to renewable energies. So it's no surprise that the African continent is being tagged as this renewable energy powerhouse. Um, I think from a recent um, report, we found out that just 40% of renewables that are being used across the whole continent was barely the surface of being untapped. And that was across three countries. So Algeria, Morocco, and South Africa. So you can imagine what the rest of the continent has to offer. So I think that initial attractiveness is that the resource is renewable, the resource is there, and it's just heavily untapped. So it's a really good place to start by identifying hydrogen. That's that's really interesting. And, and then I guess you have um, not just solar and wind, but you also have geothermal. There's many different forms of, of renewables that could produce hydrogen. How is the um, project pipeline moving? I mean, are there budgets re- readily available? Are the projects actually moving forward? Are we going to see some FIDs in Africa or and, and even that, I, I ask that when I get irritated being asked myself, um, because it takes so long to get from um, starting a project and, and getting the land allocation, et cetera, to an FID. But are we in feasibility study range? Are we doing pre-feeds right now? How, well, what is the status sort of on a continent-wise scale across 55 countries? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's a continent-wide scale. And because of that reason, it is so hard to just pinpoint and say Africa is right here on the on the green hydrogen conversation of, pro- of projects. Um, countries like Morocco have really just boomed ahead when it comes to developing a strategy and finding investors um, that are interested in putting um, some kind of commitment into hydrogen development, which has been exciting. And then for the you know, south of the continent, we've had Namibia, which is this star show um, of, a con- of a country um, when it comes to the hydrogen market. We've seen um, this project called Hypen Hydrogen, which is a-, a huge part of what the Namibian government is driving towards basically meeting this international standards for green hydrogen production. Um, they've been really productive in the way that they've handled existing MOUs, which, are- which is still in conversation stage, um, towards employment and basically bridging the gap for funding across the continent. You spoke about funding as well. I think one thing countries like Namibia are doing is actually creating a funding bucket that allows investors to come in. Um, I recently read um, a quote, actually, that the presidential economic advisor um, for green hydrogen in Namibia mentioned, and which is that they were looking at blended financing infrastructure platforms. And essentially what these this is supposed to do is to create this almost $1 billion fund that allows for investors to come into Namibia and basically take stock into different aspects of the hydrogen um, infrastructure and hydrogen economy. So from the pipelines to transportation to transmission lines. And we're getting to see that as a more viable option when it comes to FIDs across African countries. So we saw that in the mini grid sector. And I think that's a plausible way of financing for hydrogen as well. That's really interesting. I'm curious, um, how does Namibia get, uh, and where does that capital come from, um, from for them to pull the fund together? Because a lot of different countries are, are basically doing 
you know, sort of auctions or they're, they're, they're trying to actually get investors to come in and pay for the projects as opposed to luring project developer, developers in with, with funding. So I'm curious, uh, do they have any international support? Is there any funding coming from any of the sources that should be funding? The, the funding conversation is quite dicey. Um, again, as we all know, green hydrogen is extremely new. And even the funders at the moment that are taking risk on sustainability projects and, you know, analysis are really just banking on scalability. Um, for Namibia, they have been quite lucky. I would believe as a country that was, you know, there's this massive desert, which is great for wind and, and solar. They've been quite lucky because they have, a, they've got a government who was very transparent and su- supportive from the inception on hydrogen for Namibia. Um, and what that has meant is that because there was this form of transparency, a lot of governments, especially European governments, have just seen it as a, I wouldn't want to say a plug and play, but almost like if this can work in Namibia, we can move this elsewhere. And then that focus is meaning that, you know, there are some German multinational, multinational companies which are already convers- conversating with the Namibian government about MOUs on green hydrogen production for exports. So there is that initial conversation. The figures, I wouldn't want to quote any right now because most of them are from online tabloids and speculations, but we are seeing more interest um, on people, on governments and private sector fundings like the banks trying to initiate initiate those conversations and trying to make sure that there's some form of blended financing that happens in hydrogen projects as well. Maybe following on from that a little bit, the, the obvious next kind of question here is, is around market access. And, and I suppose in, in terms of market targeting, you know, how is the contemplation for reaching markets? And, and I suppose which markets are, are actually the the prime targets across the continent? There has been, um, thank you, Patrick. Um, there has been some really good indicators and we've seen a lot of this. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are these massive graphs or continental drives from, you know, how hydrogen is going to be from Nigeria, Algeria, Angola, Namibia into Europe or into, um, Australia. Australia or America. And um, like you said at the beginning of this year, when it comes to infrastructure for transportation of any form of energy, it doesn't happen overnight. These are highly complicated and complex processes. Not only are they expensive, but they also go through different countries. And because of that reason, there's so many aspects like security, diplomatic sanctions, diplomatic agreements that have to be put in place to make sure hydrogen transportation is possible, either through sea or land. Um, the infrastructure for hydrogen, again, is we're seeing more of that happening in countries like Morocco and Angola um, and Algeria, which are closer to Europe, you know, having those initial bilateral energy relations and just being like, okay, you already have this. We're less than a few kilometers apart. Let's, you, let's try and make this possible as soon as, as soon as we can. But the conversation gets very complicated when we now go back to Namibia, which is on the southern part of the continent and really hasn't, like I mentioned before, hasn't really had as much attention as it's getting now with this new hydrogen um, conversation as it's had in the last few decades. And it's going to take a very, I don't want to say a very long time, (laughs) but it's going to take a a moment before the continent can actualize transportation for hydrogen in any form it comes. Um, If we look at maritime transportation, we also see that because a lot of those um, oceans haven't been parted for exports in the past, you know, that conversation for liquefied or compressed hydrogen becomes very dicey because you're having to deal with high intensity fuels that the continent just hasn't dealt with before. Definitely. It sounds like uh, um, the work is cut out for them, but I, I guess that's true pretty much around the world. 
how do you think the financing will work alongside this this very complex uh, diplomacy and planning and, uh, and for the infrastructure as well as as the markets? How do you think the infrastructure is 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 going to likely be financed? Um, do you have any ideas on that or how how it should be financed? Yeah, thank you. So. Um... I'm really, really sad to bring the gas infrastructure market into this conversation, but we have seen the reality of majority of the African gas-powered pipelines being in conversations for the last decade or so. We've had talks, you know, across there's a massive one that's supposed to run from um, Nigeria here all the way to Morocco providing gas. And that conversation is still being had. It's been almost 12 years. Financing for major infrastructure takes a lot of commitments from a lot of countries, a lot of multilateral um, support. And I think this is why the issue of blended financing becomes very particular. The bankability and scalability um, for green hydrogen is just, again, it's a new, it's not a new technology, but at the massive scale it's being um, promoted right now, it's very new for everyone. And it's, it falls under this aspect of climate risk as well. You know, when companies are now trying to move towards financing for you know, green solutions and green systems and systems that are more cl- climate friendly. How do we ensure then that the processes for green hydrogen meet those standards? And when it hasn't been done before, where there isn't any actual projects that's, that have ramped up, um, I expect by next well, not, no, 2025, and when we get to a point where we start seeing actual hydrogen projects um, take off across the continent, we will see more financing just leap up immediately. Um, We did see this in the solar system a few, a decade or so ago where, you know, the challenge was trying to find financing for example, mini grids. And once a few mini grids kicked off here and there, we had the multinaturals um, agreements being signed. Banks were trying to see more feasibility towards this stake as well. Um, I really think when it comes to financing the industry, um, the green hydrogen space, we would just need, you know, a pickup, a pickup, a, a team or a project that really just takes the risk on themselves and can show that this is a market that would attract more investments if, it, if they decide to scale. So, so maybe a broader, a broader question around the, this, because we certainly hear, you know, financing issues generally across markets, sometimes more acute than others, obviously. But, you know, I, I suppose at a, at a higher level, what are the kind of the critical barriers to, to roll out? Is, is it purely finance? Are there, are there more kind of, um, you know, obviously country by country, some of this changes, but, but I think you alluded to the, the challenges of developing large scale infrastructure, for instance, are there, are there any like just structural barriers that are making this a little bit tougher or, you know, particularly if we could solve them would move it all forward just a little bit quicker? Yeah, I think straight after straight after finance, the next conversation we're having, especially for the continent, is technology. Um, we're still heavily reliant on exports um, facilities for our wind, even hydro um, amenities and technologies, um, much less solar. Because of that reason, the, the continent is being quite slow in developing proponents for green hydrogen. Again, these technologies needs financing, so we're still we're still back in this circle. But one thing that I am seeing a lot of countries um, tapping into right now is trying to acknowledge, acknowledge and accept or rather request for some form of knowledge exchange or technology transfer. Um, because what that does is it allows the continent to leverage on existing. Africa is one of the highly populous um, countries and majority of the people in, that are from Africa that live here, they have 
the youngest youngest set of skills, you know, the population ranges from below 31, I think, um, and makes up a huge percentage of the population in Africa. So we do have the capacity to meet a demand for a growing industry, but there needs to be exclusive and increasing research and development. And we're just not seeing that yet, sadly. Um, I do think there are a lot of organizations that are being proactive. I know some South African universities are really pushing for research and development when it comes to electrolyzers or hydrogen storage systems, but it's not happening at the scale at which the big announcements are coming up. And that is my little concern um, because we obviously get to a point where there's all these buzzwords and hydrogen, Africa, green hydrogen production. But at the end of the day, even the supply chain for electrolyzers is facing massive global slowdown and much less for a continent like Africa, which just doesn't have the capacity to manufacture their own at scale yet. Yeah. It's, it's quite a task ahead <laughs> for, for the, for the, for everyone again, but it, uh, it just makes it more difficult are, are there any major updates or, or from any, I know you've talked about Morocco and Algeria and some of the countries that are closer to Europe and Namibia, of course, as sort of a, a, a great case study um, or first project. Are there any other uh, countries that have made announcements or are looking to lead in this space? Yeah, I think everyone wants to be a leader at the end of the day. Um, and um, obviously, Namibia was very quick to to get the champion champion skill on that. Um, again, I mentioned Morocco. Morocco has been persistent on the skill as well. Last week, or two weeks ago, at this African Climate Summit, which was held in Kenya, the Kenyan government actually went ahead and introduced their hydrogen strategy, um, which was very unprecedented. We weren't really expecting that, truthfully, but they do make some very good assumptions. Um, they really focus on water, which I thought a lot of African countries just haven't paid attention to the technicalities of water um, systems. Ken- um, Kenya actually does have a massive desalination, um, so basically getting salt water into clean water processes that are going across the country. So the emphasis on water has been quite interesting. So this the Kenyan hydrogen strategy, which was launched two weeks ago, and I'm hoping to hear more about that moving forward to COP or moving forward to other um, climate conversations around financing for green hydrogen. Also at this same summit, there was also this introduction for the partnerships for renewables in Africa. And this is actually supported by UAE, which is hosting the next COP, Denmark and Germany. Um, towards pursuing green industrialization. The prospects for this um, green industrialization is to encourage domestic markets, which I think is far overdue. So it's a very welcome development at the moment. And and the, the, the provision of that means that countries in Africa can start looking at hydrogen from a domestic market as well. So not just for exports, but also what can African countries start doing when it comes to um, hydrogen. Um, we saw some announcements on countries being more aggressive around um, green ammonia for fertilizers and agriculture sector, which has been quite interesting too, because as you know, following the Russian and the Russian invasion two years ago now about, the continent did suffer a lot when it came to the fact that we do import a lot of our agriculture uses from Ukraine, for example, and therefore we need to actually start finding ways to find um, climate resilient solutions for our agricultural sector. And again, green green ammonia then demonstrates as being an example of that. Um, and, and I'm just really trying to plug on examples and updates from the sector that are just not in the news, which I find very interesting because majority of them aren't like 
high flying conversation, sadly. And, and maybe lastly, I would also add the fact that, um, the HDF, which is the hydrogen de France, um, and they're interested now. They mentioned a few weeks ago in developing a large scale hydrogen infrastructure for, um, for fuel cells in Kenya. And what I really think that goes to show is that they are demonstrating not just are we trying to develop for export, but we're trying to find out ways to use hydrogen in the local market too. As you know, fuel cells is very important when you're trying to look at, you know, either heavy duty vehicles, which are used in a lot of the critical mining sectors, critical minerals um, sectors for mining. And um, Kenya has just been a bit more aggressive over the last two weeks when it comes to hydrogen. So I think the, the Kenyan hydrogen strategy has been the major highlight, I would say. So speaking of COP, I suppose, what could we expect from, from this forthcoming COP in, in respect to, to the broad kind of African hydrogen economy as it's emerging? Most of the time, as we've witnessed from previous COPs from Glasgow to Egypt, we just haven't heard much from governments, especially African governments, till we get to the room, which I find interesting, but also that leaves us with this little perk of surprise. The last COP in Glasgow, the Nigerian government announced the energy transition plan. The one in Egypt, I'm not really sure we had major announcements from any African country, but looking ahead to the next COP in the UAE, um, Mozambique um, is actually looking at um, if, you, if you're not familiar, Mozambique has had a lot of attention um, from the IOC, so international oil companies in the past 24 months um, towards, you know, their existing um, oil rigs or gas pipelines actually being developed in Mozambique. So they are now announcing this energy transition strategy and roadmap, which I'm expecting hydrogen to play a massive road, um, role in it. Yet to see what a copy of what that looks like. So I'm definitely looking out to seeing what Mozambique comes up with. Um, they are another alternative player when it comes to scaling renewables in the continent, despite being a small a small country, they're really fast tracking to maybe become one of the first low carbon countries in Africa, which is another interesting conversation on its own. Um, at COP as well, we're also expecting to have this global stock take. Um, if, if your audience isn't familiar, the stock take is essentially supposed to identify where the progress that each country has made on their reduction of the carbon or um, rather emission reduction commitments. So under this national determined contribution, which was identified under the Paris Agreement. And essentially what this global stock take is supposed to do is signify where countries have where they were a few years ago, I think since 2000, the year 2020 till now and how much progress has been made. So that global stock take really just show us the beyond the reports and the dialogues and the webinars where each country is and what to expect going forward. Yes. And I, I think, you know, the global stock take has started and, and we don't seem to be on the right path in, in any way, shape or form in, in terms of uh, um, actually making the 1.5 or, or any other targets, um, which is, is quite depressing. But um, I, I guess, you know, with, with the, continent as large as Africa that has a lot of resources and which hasn't really been factored in even. I mean, I, I think that uh, is does offer a bit of hope. You know, there's just resources all over the world. And this, this can be a, a wonderful sort of first product or infrastructure investment uh, to help build more complex economies in general. How do you feel about the, the current political situation in Africa? I mean, it's, there's been a number of coups r lately that uh, 
we, I mean, it's sort of unusual. There hasn't been some for quite some time. Yeah, Alicia, that's that's right. There has been a lot of um, political, I won't call it instability, but political news um, making wave. Um, it's very unprecedented, actually. And it's there has been some conversation around how this is going to affect, you know, from migration to refugee concern to security concerns. I can't really comment on how that would affect the hydrogen economy at scale because it's really hard to observe right now, especially because these activities are happening in very isolated or smaller countries. But I do know for sure one thing that security does have when it comes to the continent is it kind of shies away investors. That's not an excuse for anyone who wants to bring money into the continent, especially towards the energy transition. However, I, I am very convinced that there are opportunities to support transition and development and industrialization across the continent, despite security challenges that are easily posed from these political unrest situations. Yeah, I think that's basically my major take on it. And we haven't had a lot of we haven't had a lot of updates, you know, in the limelight or in top news at the moment. But currently, everything seems to be cooling down. Um, we can only just wait and see for you know what steps that the government and the African Union take regarding these. Okay, well, I, I think with that, we've had a, a comprehensive and uh, and uh, illuminating conversation about the, the kind of broad opportunity, but also the, the kind of very, very kind of um, clear challenges that, that it will take to see Africa, Africa become the, the hydrogen powerhouse that it has the potential for. And uh, I think uh, really just want to say thank you for, for the time and uh, uh, call it there. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for being on. It was, it, was, it was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So Alicia, that's, that's, that's got to be one of the, the most efficient overviews of, uh, of a, an entire continent's uh, positioning and strategy around hydrogen, but also, you know, rollout and challenges. And I, I've got to say it was, it was pretty impressive. What, what are your what are your big takeaways? Oh, you think covering fifty five countries in twenty five minutes is uh, impressive? Yes, it was it was uh, it was absolutely thorough too, which is really remarkable. I, I think you know she she couldn't dwell on it too much, but unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of political instability. That actually, these coups have not been um, very prevalent. And, and now we're seeing it almost like chain reactions, like each, almost like the Arab Spring, uh, where where you have a coup and then just another one, you know, the next week. So that is a little bit worrying. And then, of course, there's a lot of different movements of, of people because, I mean, to some degree, because of climate change, people who are uh, moving through different countries. And there's a lot of geopolitics at work here that, that's going to make this difficult. But as she points out, on the bright side, there's a lot of resource in, in Africa. And I, I think that it's a great opportunity for uh, these countries to actually have something very valuable to uh, sell to the world and to build uh, a more complex economy around. So I think it's, it's very optimistic. And I think that's right. I mean, she's very optimistic. And I, and I, and I agree with her. I think that there's uh, so much in there for Africa. And I think we saw with the G20, just uh, a week before the G20 met last, I think last week, um, you had 20 countries in Africa 
basically side with the 31 countries in the IMO member states that are looking for um, stronger targets, uh, more aggressive, uh, stronger targets for use of green fuels and shipping. And that's because they think that they will be able to uh, make green fuels. Um, and, and I think that's a, a great sign, obviously, as well. How about you? What, what, what else uh, did she make you think about or, or were you surprised by? I mean, I, I suppose from, from a personal perspective on this, I, I find it amazing that when we think about export markets, when we talk about hydrogen availability, that we don't talk about Africa more um, in general. You know, whether you, you contemplate, you know, the available kind of like, you know, natural gas pathways that obviously some, somewhat exist already. You know, whether we move to our natural hydrogen um, font, the existing one in Mali, let's see if that, that becomes more more available in general. I'm still interested to see how that rolls out. But but also, and, and, and she, she rightly mentioned, the, the availability of really, really high quality renewables and now getting access to a molecular pathway for that, it just seems incredibly and immediately sensible, right? So it, it always reminds me when, when I hear these these conversations, especially ones which, which are, as you as you rightly flag, are very, very thorough. The opportunity and the scale of opportunity is immense. But we we end up with some common challenges, some common conversational challenges, which is how do you get to market? What's the the best pathway? Where is this going to kind of come together? And one of the one of the the, the points that that was touched on for for a little bit towards the end around developing some of these domestic kind of use cases and domestic market positioning is it, that's going to be quite important to getting the the sector up and off the ground. So. In many ways, in spite of the, the, the points that you mentioned about the, the geopolitics aspect, um, there's a lot of reasons, I think, to be optimistic about the, the role that, that Africa as a continent will be able to play in this space. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I mean, you look at Kenya right now, just with the geothermal, they have, I think that they're 80% green grid or something like that. Um, maybe it's higher. So, I mean, I think there's... With the right resources, I think that they will be very competitive, and and this is just a, a fantastic uh, result. I mean, I think the the same is true for Latin America. That's one of the things that I think is so uh, wonderful about hydrogen is that it's this opportunity for the places that just really haven't had a lot of opportunities in other ways, and uh, and so it's it's just feels like a it's it's only fair, you know, that they have this uh, something that the world is is willing to pay a lot of money for because it's it's necessary. I think we're far beyond this conversation of oh, do we want to be green or do we want to grow? I think it's now just fully understood that you know if you want to grow, the growth is the green businesses, right? I mean that is where the growth is, and uh, so we can actually do both at once. And, and I think that that is really, really fantastic. You know, we, we are no longer really talking about stopping uh, developing countries from going forward. Yeah, I think I think that's a very, very interesting dynamic that's that seems to have shifted or be shifting as well. The other aspect that I, I thought was quite interesting and relates to this is around the, that technology challenge. 
and you know how technology sharing you know um you know even developmental kind of like in terms of the like how you build the projects learning aspects and that knowledge transfer piece is going to be critical and and once again it's a piece that you know you can very easily just assume it's easily doable and everybody knows when in reality you know it's very challenging to build these projects and and the the skill sets or the experience of doing it is actually still reasonably reasonably limited so i think there's some pretty fundamental kind of challenges that we're seeing across the marketplace and and some of them you know are obviously more prevalent in, in some markets rather than others but i think that knowledge transfer piece is is a one that kind of sits quietly below the surface without necessarily having any anybody particularly pay pay too much attention to to how that actually happens and who's sharing what with who kind of thing so there's there's a couple of pieces here that i think are perhaps going to be uh, maybe not lessons learned but the, i think they're they're flags of of challenges that may occur in some other markets too and it's very useful to to have that conversation emerge around around this this opportunity as well definitely yeah no it's very exciting i think we're really looking forward to the cop 28 because i I think that uh even though last year was for the global south and this year is more focused on inclusivity i think it actually is going to end up more of the global south is showing up and is involved and there's more activities that are based on on that and so i think this will be Africa will, will feature prominently. So I think that that will be really something uh, to look forward to. So watch this space, I think, is the the optimistic uh, learning lesson or learning from this uh, this this particular episode. <laughs> Isn't that always our, our learning? <laughs> watch this space. We're consistent, if nothing else, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, if listeners have any other information you want to let us know about that we missed in this call, um, uh, please uh, keep writing. It's, it's great to hear from you. That was Everything About Hydrogen, hosted by the team Patrick Malloy, Alicia Eastman and Chris Jackson. If you have a question for the Hydrogen team or any of our guests and would like to get in touch, you can shoot us an email on info at h2podcast.com. Or alternatively, you can follow us on LinkedIn or tweet us. Our handle is at About Hydrogen. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.